Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano and welcome to today's podcast episode. This is episode 254. And you're listening to the podcast where we talk about building a better kind of online business. And my definition of better, as I'm sure you've heard in the intro, is the kind of business that has less of all of the things you don't want. Less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. And no, that's not grammatically correct, but it makes it much easier for the average person to remember. Now, for those of you who weren't around when I've told this story, I got started in the online business world way back in the 1990s, way back, yeah, building a digital agency-style business. I started it in 1998, and I did just about everything myself during those first few years. Eventually, from there, I built a team. I added new services. But to grow this kind of business, I ended up increasing the number of moving parts that I was working with. I ended up investing more money because I wanted to be able to provide more of everything that I thought my customers or my client base needed or wanted. And as I did this, the headaches grew and I began to basically live, eat, and breathe my business around the clock. And that was during the early years. It was also during the early years of my my own online business experience. My time in the online business world was just getting started. And honestly, we didn't have the kind of automation that's available to us today. Here's the thing about that. It depends on what kind of service you're offering and who you're offering it to. Because even now, yes, some things are easily automated, but some things are not. And it's true in the offline space and it's true in the online space as well. And so you're left with a decision. You either have to do the work yourself or you have to pay others to do it for you or to do it with you. And this is where we see the breakdown happening so many times. I was just talking to a client, longtime client this week, and they were confiding in me their frustration of going through the process of finding the right person with the right experience and then bringing them on board and then training them and everything that goes into training them going through a little bit of a trial and error process as the person becomes familiar with the business, with the products, with how that business interacts with their customers or clients. And then what happens? In a short time, the person's gone. Maybe they weren't a good fit. Maybe they just decide to move on to something better. Maybe extenuating circumstances happen, things that were beyond both parties' control happen. But the thing which was a constant in the story is the fact that the turnover was consistent and it was regular and at the end of the day it was just exhausting it takes time and effort to train people and not only that people today unfortunate as it is they don't stay with a quote-unquote job for as long as they used to i remember back hearing stories of back in the day someone would work for one or two companies for their entire life and they would retire and they would retire with a pension but of course customers in or excuse me companies in general were more loyal especially the larger companies to their employees than they are by a mile today of course if you're with a company too long and you're making too much money then it's just the company sees it unfortunately 
Most companies do in their best interest to replace you with someone who will do the same work but will do it cheaper. And that's why we've seen so many jobs, especially here in the United States, outsourced to other countries where people will do the work and they'll do it for cheaper. So as a business owner, you have to realize that there's a lot of other things that go into this process of training people, working with others, building a team, and it can be very frustrating. Many times, and if those of you who have teams, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, you end up working with people on a project and they're not exactly on the same page that you're on yet because they haven't been with you long enough. Maybe the client isn't a very good communicator and so you have the stress of understanding what it is that the client wants and then you have the stress of trying to communicate that properly and accurately to your team, the people who are doing the work with and for you. Now, most of you out there, if you're a new business, you know, I say this especially if you're a new business, sometimes you're working with people who can't exactly afford to have the job done the way it should be done. So corners get cut, things like that happen all the time. And I remember that there was a time where if the client had a pulse, if they could fog a mirror, and if they could pay what I was asking, I would take them on as a client. Now, in this whole process, when you're working, when you're doing this work, when you're interacting with clients, most of the time you do not have the time, the energy, and focus to do marketing at a top level, at least not organic marketing, because you just don't have the time. You're probably not putting a podcast together. You're probably not writing long-form articles for SEO or doing any of that stuff. And you're probably not exactly experimenting with paid ads either due to cash flow challenges. So yes, on the front end, there are a lot of challenges, but I just want to throw this in there. I don't look at this as good or bad. You know, some people would look at that and say, well, that's how you grow. You face challenges, you, you're creative, you bootstrap your way forward, you learn the business from the ground up, you learn it inside out, and that's what makes for success later on down the line. Other people just look at it and say it's just a miserable situation. Unless you have enough money to put away to get yourself started properly, you shouldn't go that route any longer. But I just look at it overall. It's the reality of the situation, and people deal with reality differently. Now, growth of any kind, it could be business growth, personal growth, or anything else, it always presents us with some challenges. Even when we have a natural aptitude towards things, like maybe 75% of what we do, we're very clear on it, we understand it, we enjoy going through the process. The other 25%, maybe not. Maybe we're not exactly happy with that, but we we tolerate it because we can't have everything 100% exactly the way that we want it. Not forever, anyway. So, I just look at it as neither good nor bad. It's just the reality of it. Now, as I said in the beginning of this podcast, in this podcast, I like to share thoughts, ideas, and insights into building a better kind of online business. And what I described is anything but. Now, we we can look at an example. Most of you are familiar with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Most people just refer to him as Gary V., and he may be considered the king of hustle, of the hustle mentality. The king of that, no, not the dance from the 1970s, but the king of hustle. In other words, hard, the hardworking mentality, 
that, you know, all systems go forward 100% and just just taking the fight to the opponent. Gary V is the type of person who always seems to be working. They're always in motion. And that's the way that kind of person is wired. I know a lot of high energy people who over the years adhere to the saying that I'll sleep when I'm dead. In other words, they're going to work around the clock. They're going to do what they're going to do. But no one has to push them into that. No one has to drive them in that direction. They're self-motivated to do what it is that they're doing. So Gary Vee marketed his family's wine business and turned it into, I think it was like a $60 million a year business eventually. And he was a serial entrepreneur. In other words, he loved the whole process of coming up with the idea, following through with the business. I remember hearing stories of him selling baseball cards and doing all of these other little businesses until finally his father wanted him to put all of those things aside and just focus on doing the one thing, which was building the family business. And that's what he did. Now, it's interesting if you look at his career as an example of this today, he manages a large online agency. And the thing about that is he owns a digital agency, also owns several other businesses. But an online agency is a good fit. Matter of fact, it's an excellent fit for someone with a hustle mentality or a high energy mentality. And I believe that over time, I've looked at this from several different angles. Over time, I've come to believe that, or at least I can now say that I believe that that's why it's so difficult for many entrepreneurs solopreneurs and freelancers to build an agency style business. Now, I believe that building a boutique style business is much easier. But when we're looking at the kind of agency business that consistently grows and consistently takes on more clients, more projects, and, it, and it's geared for that, that's the mentality. If you don't have that kind of hustle mentality, then it's very easy to just get overwhelmed with the amount of work that needs to be done, the consistency with which the work has to be done, and people just suffer a mental breakdown. I'm not really literally speaking of a mental breakdown. I'm sure that that's happened to people in the, in the entrepreneurial space, but I'm just talking about where you just become weary and disillusioned with the whole thing that you're doing. And let me add something here about the hustle lifestyle. I believe that every single one of you can do it if you need to. I believe that every single one of you can burn the candle at both ends for days, weeks, or even months at a time if you have a big enough reason to do that. It may be there's a big project that needs to be done. It may be that you're reinventing yourself or times are tough right now and so you push it into overdrive. I'm sure you've done that, maybe even without realizing it at times when it's something that you really enjoyed. You learned how to become a better writer or a better designer or a better coder or a better communicator simply by just diving in and doing the work and, and living it and breathing it and eating it. But that lifestyle doesn't last forever. And I've seen people that burn out after that. So it's not to look at it like it's bad or it's good or anything like that. I just say it because for somebody like myself, for example, it's good for a limited amount of time, but it's not something that I want to pursue as this is my business style. This is the way I'm going to do it. More laid back than that. So, and I would say for the average person, it's probably not really a healthy lifestyle overall. 
However, it's also important to realize that sometimes some businesses and some business models may require more than you're able to give. And I think that's something that also you have to realize. You have to realize your strengths, but you also have to realize what your limitations are and come to terms with them. Now, some businesses may require more from you than you're willing to give. Now, that's something different, but it's just as true. Maybe in one case you're not able to, maybe in the other case you're able to, but you're not willing. I know there are things that I could do, but I'm just not willing to put the effort into doing them. And that's the way it is. Now, we could sit around and say, well, could you change that mindset? Could you change it temporarily? But the bottom line is I don't want to. And it's just like you. If you don't want to do something, it's really hard to talk you into doing what you don't want to do. Matter of fact, most of the time you can't even talk yourself into doing whatever it is that you don't want to do. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs learn everything that I've just talked about from the school of hard knocks. They don't learn it from motivational speeches. Motivational speeches are great. I think that anything that lifts you up and that gives you a good feeling, I think that's great. You can hop from motivational speech to motivational speech, and I know some people become addicted to it, addicted to self-help. I don't think there's anything wrong with self-help, but if self-help becomes a substitute from doing the work of the business, well, then it's not a good thing. Let's talk briefly about picking a lane, picking a niche, or identifying your ideal client type, because that falls into all of this. If we're looking at the big picture, and our goal is to build our own version of a less stressed business, then I can identify the parts for you. I can give you a lot to think about. And so let me just keep going with this line of thought because I'm into it now. So we may as well keep going with it. Now, from what I've seen with most people, trial and error in the real world is the best way to learn how to do things like picking a lane or picking a niche or identifying your ideal client type. I know that there's plenty of courses out there that teach you how to do it. And I've been through some of them in when I first got started in business, and I found that they were very frustrating. For a bunch of reasons, I never got the result out of buying that kind of information that I thought I was going to get out of it. That said, I think it's important eventually to recognize who the best type of person is for you to be working with or what need you're best at serving or what niche you really belong into. I believe all of those things are important. But if, you know, for example, if you're just starting out, I think that more often than not, more people are apt to pick the wrong niche than they would uh, if they were building or let's say rebranding an, an existing business or rebooting, another way we can put it, an existing business. Oftentimes, it's just as easy to decide what problem your business is going to fix And then learn from real-world trial and error what type of person is a good fit for you and what type of person isn't. Learning this will benefit your business in a few ways. First of all, you'll learn, most importantly of all, what types of personalities you work well with and what types that you don't. Now, in some cases, for example, you're working with other people, there may be certain personality types you don't enjoy working with. But you can suck it up and you can learn how to get along with anyone if that's what you truly desire to do. I know I've done it myself. There were places where I really didn't enjoy hardly any of the people that I was working with. And I don't want to say that they were bad people. If you asked me back then, I would have said, yeah, these these people, I don't like any of these people. They're no good. You shouldn't like them either. 
But now, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of distance, I just say, well, you know, they were, they thought differently. They looked at the world a little bit differently than I do, I guess. And I just, for whatever reason, um, wasn't willing to make the effort to love working with them, but I made the effort to get along with them. So these are things that you learn actually from from doing. Reading about it is tough. There's nothing wrong with reading about it, but I think that the real lessons that you learn, unfortunately, uh, sometimes you have to go through a class or two from the School of Hard Knocks. Ho- hopefully you don't spend too long in that school, but you learn a lot from doing. And it's important, I think, that you understand what types of personalities you're better suited for and what types that you aren't. Um, one of the things that I learned to do over the years is to focus on the communication aspect of business. In other words, you learn how to become a better communicator. And when you do this, you begin to focus on things like setting expectations, what you expect of the client, what the client can expect of you, things that a lot of people assume. And when you come from different mindsets or different backgrounds, your assumptions may not exactly line up. Or just doing things like taking the time to explain things to people that, again, you're not making any assumptions. Here's a little bonus for you. Let me just throw this out. Uh, One of the things that I enjoy doing now that is more of a focus now in my business than it has been in the past, and that's this, to let your customers or clients know, your existing ones, how the competition or how other competitors will make an attempt to sell them things they really don't need. Now, big picture is, no matter what you do, there will be be other business people, individuals, companies out there who will be trying to take that client away from you, that business away from you. It's, it's a competitive arena. But by more or less positioning this topic under the banner of other companies trying to sell them things they don't really need and explaining how the process works and giving them some uh, detailed insight into this. I'm totally serious about this. It is, if you, get a, if you get ahead of the curve on something like this, which almost no one does, I believe that it can benefit you immeasurably down the road. Because it's happened to me, I've seen it happen to other people where you don't have that ongoing communication with the client, someone else comes along and they talk a good game and they're showing you know, charts and graphs and things and they're making all kinds of promises and then what happens? You end up losing the client. And a lot of times, a lot of these companies will lock the client into a, you know, a six-month contract or a nine-month contract. And then at the end of that time, the company comes back and they'll say, look, we've done this, this, and this, and we've changed this and we've changed that. But the most important thing hasn't changed at all. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about the bottom line. Income hasn't increased. The return on investment just isn't there. And then what they'll try to do is tell the customer that they need to reinvest and they need to work on this, this, and this. And again, they'll be locked into a long contract. And I've seen this time in and time out over again and again. So I probably should repeat this just one more time. Let your customers or clients know how the competition will attempt to sell them things that they really don't need. Give them an alternative and just recognize that you know, certain companies, they want to lock your clients into long-term contracts because they know that they're not going to be happy, at the very least, 
with at least the short-term results that they're going to see. And they're probably not going to be very happy with the long-term results either. So, all right, let me share some thoughts on how different business models work and why many of you would be better off with a hybrid type of business that combines the services with a one-to-many type of offering as a secondary source of scalable income. So what you're going to end up with is one coin, one business, but there's going to be two sides to that coin. One business with, we could say, two departments. So for example, suppose I'm a creator of some kind. Let's say, I don't know, let me use social media. I often use that as an example. Let's say I sell social media services. It's a service I provide to clients. Now that's one source of income there. I work with each of my clients individually. And even if they don't take a lot of time, I still work with each client individually. Now let's say I decide to add a one-to-many income stream to my business as an additional source of revenue. What is the one-to-many business model? What exactly does that mean? Well, one-to-many means that you can easily double or triple the number of clients you currently serve, and you can do it with half the time and the effort that you're putting into the service part of your business. Does that make sense? So maybe once a month, for example, let's say I run a workshop. That's a very simple example we could use where I teach business owners how to successfully set up and grow their businesses using social media. And then after the talk, I provide them with the tools, the templates, or maybe some video training to enable them to either do it themselves or to train one of their employees to do it for them. So one-to-many means that you can teach, train, or show people how to get the results that you're able to achieve who can't afford to hire you directly or work with you directly or to contract you. So with one-to-many, you're able to work with groups of people. Now, if I approached you and I told you that if you worked with me, we could design a marketing plan that's a better fit for your business than what you currently have. So let's say you're struggling with marketing. And so I approach you and we talk about it and I let you know how much it would cost for you to work directly with me. And you say, Jim, I'd love to work with you, but, you know, I just don't have the money to do it. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I say, "Okay, well, that's fine. Well, here's another option for you. I have a program that you can go through and you can go through it at your own pace and it will teach you how to do what I would teach you how to do one on one. But you could do it at your own pace. So now I have a second opportunity to be able to work with you. Does that make sense? Or I could say, let's say I was having a workshop. And if you lived in the area, I could say you could attend my workshop. Or if I recorded the workshop, I could say you could watch the recording of the workshop. In other words, I would have an opportunity if I couldn't work with you one-on-one to still be able to help you in that area. So again, one-to-many means that you can teach you can train or you can show more people how to get the results that you're able to achieve who can't afford to hire or work with you directly. If you've ever gone to a seminar, that business model, you know, there's a seminar business model is very similar. It's just that it has more moving pieces. So you sell the tickets, you give a a talk, and then you sell products at the end. And at the end of that talk, people are highly motivated to buy things. So for example, let's say, again, we can use workshop 
a workshop as a model, hands-on. Maybe you, let's use website development as an example. How to create the type of website that's designed to attract maybe opt-ins or how to build the kind of website that ranks highly for specific SEO type terms or how to do that. And you go through this workshop with people and then at the end, maybe you you offer them a done-for-them system, a plug-and-play type of system that they could use and modify for their own business. And being that they've gone through this entire thing, now maybe some of them will want to work with you directly, but maybe some of them can't afford that. And so, and you know, and there's another way to look at this too, which I'll talk about in a minute, but courses are, are workshops are very hands-on. Someone goes to a workshop and they're taking notes and they're involved in the process. Seminars are kind of too. Most of the money in seminars are made afterwards at the back table when people are at their emotional high. Have you ever been to a seminar before where you just forget about walking to the back? You wanted to run to the back to buy whatever it is they had, if it was in your budget at least anyway. <clears throat> now, courses are a little similar, but they're not really the same. You don't have access to the speaker. You can't ask questions. But if you combine recorded material along with some live interaction, then you would have what in my mind makes the perfect one-to-many system, and that's what I'm talking about. Now you can have low or medium or higher end pricing, and you can have, for example, smaller groups with higher pricing. That's usually the way masterminds work. Is it one-to-many? Well, it's not one-on-one, but they're paying a higher price for more of your time, more of your focus, more of your energy. But there's also big groups with lower pricing and both of the ways work. I remember one time Lori telling me there was a certain process that I did. It was a computer repair process. And a lot of my friends would call me throughout the years asking for help with things like slow slow PCs. And so it was like a little high, uh, side hobby of mine. Uh, especially back in the early days of the 1990s, building my own uh, PCs and ordering the parts and putting them together. And some of my geeky friends were into that too. And it was just enjoyable building these high-performance computers. They were not really high-performance as compared with today, but they were for their time. And building, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the creative side of it. But I was taking a lot of time, investing time in teaching or going to people's homes, my friends, that Lori said, why don't you just record the whole process? Why don't you record yourself going through it? And then when one of our friends asks for help, send them a link to the video. And, you know, I should have done this years ago because I've done that same thing in my business for so many other things. I just never thought, well, you know, all of my friends are asking for help. Why don't I send them this video? I'll send them the walkthrough on what I do step by step. And then if they have any questions, then I'll go over to their house and I'll, I'll fix whatever it is that's wrong. And so after I did that, basically nobody called me anymore because everyone knew exactly what they were supposed to do. So, yeah, so you can see that, that there again, there is an example, very basic example of one to many. But having a well thought out system is something that can become invaluable and can become an invaluable income stream, something that you can scale so much easier than you'll be able to scale something like uh, the service side of your business. 
And interestingly enough, I've shared this concept with so many of my longtime clients with different types of businesses. These are people that are highly skilled. They have local businesses, but they know as much as maybe some of the more famous people in their fields. And I'm telling them there's nothing that's stopping them from going the one-to-many route also. Now, a lot of them have shops or storefronts, and they're at the age where in the back of their mind, maybe they're thinking about selling their business maybe five years down the line or maybe not much past that. Or they want to work a little bit less and not be not so much hands-on. Some of the things, I know there's people that, uh, let, me, let me not go too far down that track. Let me get back to my main thought here. I'm getting trying to get better at that. Um, but many of my existing clients are now trying to uh, adopt this approach to business growth in their own businesses. It replaces the need to increase or sell more labor-intense services in order to scale your income. And I think that's really the bottom line. If, if scaling your income or growing your income or however you want to put it, if that requires labor-intense activities, if that uh, requires for you to outsource or hire other people, then is that really the less stress type of business that you want to be running three years from now or five years from now? Now, on May 25th, I mentioned this last week, I'll be releasing a new training, which is absolutely free, that will show you how the whole process works including how to set up your marketing, which is really important because I've come to realize that the marketing of anything is just as important as the thing itself. And that's something that I can really help you with when it comes to simplifying it and still having an effective outcome, still getting the kind of result that you're looking for. Now, let's get back to your business as a whole. Let's talk, let me talk to those of you who are creators. You know, there's managers, there's creators and there's people that are a bit of both. I think it's important that you become a bit of both if you're not a bit of both already. But maybe we look at it like this, majoring in one and you minor in the other. So maybe you major in creating and you minor in managing whatever it is that you've created. But this is for the creators out there. And I want to tell you that you will not be happy if you stop creating. And that's about as plain as I can put it. You may be happy for a month or two, but it won't last. And the service side of your business gives you a creative outlet. Part of what rubs you the wrong way, I'm just being honest about it, part of what rubs you the wrong way about providing services is the fact that you've taken on perhaps too many clients that were a bad fit for you in the past. You wanted the money. So you look the other way with certain things and you took on the wrong people. I know exactly what it's like from having been there myself. Now, have you ever worked for someone or started working for someone? On a gut level, you knew there was nothing that you could really do to keep that person happy long term. I'm sure you've come to that realization and you've known it deep down on the inside. If you get too many people like that, it can make you hate what you do. But if you really sit back and analyze it, it's not really what you're doing that you hate or that you're growing to hate. It's who you're doing it for. And I know it's really easy to just lump both of them together. But back to what I was saying, if you're a creative and you want to work with people and provide services for people that you, uh, you get along with, if that's what you want to do, then, I mean, that will transform 
the services side of your business. In other words, you want to work with the people that you really get along with. Sometimes it's not even the matter of the niche. You can have the wrong person in the right niche and it'll still be a miserable experience for you. So you have to begin to recognize what type of personality you're better equipped to work with or better equipped to get results for. People who appreciate your workflow and your style. So you want to focus on doing the kind of work that is going to allow your strengths to continue to develop. And they will develop, believe me. If you keep on focusing on your strengths, you keep on practicing whatever it is that you do, you can go from good to great over time. I mean, that's just the absolute truth about it. But scaling your services in order to do this may not be the best way for you to go about it. That's why having a one-to-many system in place with your existing business. Now, before, if you would have asked me this one or two years ago, I would say just make a plan just to do a one-to-many system and that's it. But then I recognize that element of the creative outlet that providing a service does. Now, maybe you can find another outlet for your creativity. Maybe it can even be a hobby. But I'm just saying that if you're a creator, if that's the way you're wired, you're probably not going to enjoy changing that um, drastically. That element is still probably going to be an important part of you having a certain level of satisfaction with the business you're trying to build. I think that's another reason why so many people struggle to build their business is because the level of dissatisfaction with it overall is overriding the things that bring that peace of mind and that level of satisfaction. Okay, so um, having a one-to-many system in place can provide you with a nice counterbalance to your existing service business, and then you can tweak and change as you move forward. You could do less of one and more of the other. Maybe you have it 50-50, 60-40, maybe eventually 80-20. But the thing I want you to recognize is that there's a whole world of do-it-yourselfers out there. And most of you recognize this, you realize this because you've been a do-it-yourselfer in certain areas yourself. And that's why you started a business in the area that you're doing it in today. There's online activities that you enjoy doing. I know back in the day, I used to publish paper and ink booklets. And one that I sold a whole bunch of, it was a bestseller. It was called How to Repair Your Poor Credit Rating. And I had this graphic of a guy with a giant pencil. And he was erase, He was starting to erase part of the title, How to Erase Your, or How to Repair Your Poor Credit Rating. And the word poor was, I believe, is where the eraser was uh, going to work on. And I sold these online too. And at the time, I owned all of the publishing equipment. I used to publish paperback booklets, uh, not large quantities, but small quantities. I would say in the hundreds instead of the thousands. And being able to publish satisfied the creator side of my personality like few other things could. Matter of fact, just talking about it gives me this extra bit of energy. And it's one of the things that drew me to WordPress when I first discovered it. And I think I discovered around 2006, 2007. I didn't officially launch it until 2008, 2009 as, as a part of the business. But I mean, I just love the idea of thinking that 
you know, the online world is like a potentially a writer's paradise. I still feel that way for the most part. The ability to create something and put it out there for the world to see. I mean, it's something that a lot of people take for granted now, but still creators create. And if you're primarily a creator, maybe and you maybe you struggle to manage people or you simply don't enjoy it. Growing a service based business beyond a certain point is really going to be tough for you. Now, if you're able to automate, here's a disclaimer, if you're able to automate much of what you're doing and it depends what type of business that you have, you may be all set. If you're able to charge premium prices and or automate, you may be all set. But if you can't, if you can't do either of those things, then the growth process will oftentimes take you down roads that you're not going to be very happy traveling. One to many, on the other hand, provides you with an attractive alternative. So for, for example, you create once and you sell over and over again, or you teach others how to get the same results you get in your area of expertise. You know, marketing is a great example of this. You can learn how to do it yourself, which is how I got started. It was a need and I invested years and years and years in marketing. One of the nice things about talking to someone who understands something that you don't it could be marketing, it could be design, it could be writing, or sales, or anything like that. One of the nice things about talking to an expert, <clears throat> even if you're just going to ask me a few questions, is they can, put, they can steer you away from the things that really waste a lot of time. I know marketing is a great example of this. There's so many roads that you can go down. And being that most of these roads require... 30, 60, 90 days, three months, six months out before the real return on the effort starts to come in, a lot of the people don't have the patience or the confidence to stay the course that long. And so they jump from thing to thing to thing. But being able to talk to somebody who already knows that and can prep you for some of the things that you're going to face before you face them, and we could be talking about anything. We can be talking about design. We can be talking about sales doesn't matter what we're talking about writing copy anything that you know you can learn how to do this yourself and take some shortcuts by talking to experts or you can hire someone to do it for you i used to say this when we were talking about copywriters i used to think i don't need to learn how to become an expert copywriter to appear to be an expert copywriter all i need to know and in this case it was we were talking about a specific kind of business so let's say, for example, you own, let's just take a, a restaurant. Let's say you own a restaurant or your family owns a restaurant. All you have to do is learn how to write copy for a restaurant and you're set. So basically what it comes down to is this. All you have to do relative to learning how to write effective copy is learning how to write effective copy for your specific business type. And if you decide to become a professional copywriter, that's even one of the things that most of the people who teach that topic suggest. In other words, you focus in on writing copy for a specific type of business or for a specific industry. And then, as one person said it, you can spend basically your whole career and be very successful writing and rewriting what amounts to, when you really boil it down, is to maybe a handful of basic letters. I remember one famous direct marketer saying that he, he and several others in the direct marketing business, when magazines were very popular and you would see those little ads, they would all hire the same guy to write their copy. And he more or less wrote the same letter with different variations of it for his entire career. 
And I forgot how much they paid him. I think it was three or four or five thousand dollars for this piece of copy. But we're talking about going back into the 1970s now. So he made a small fortune, as this one person put it, more or less writing the same letter over and over again with just tweaking and changing little things here and there. So maybe it took him three hours to write this letter. Maybe sometimes it took him an hour, but that's those were the fees that he charged, and he was able to charge those fees because he had that specific type of sales pitch, of sales copy, down to an art. And there's no reason why you can't do the same thing for yourself. Unless you're going to be changing markets and businesses, business types all the time, you can learn by writing that copy for that same audience over time, just like you can learn by doing a specific kind of design or creating a specific kind of video. You have your style, you have the foundation, and you have the template. Now, take a minute to carefully think this through. If you provide a service for a done-for-you crowd, could it be that you may not have considered the money you're leaving on the table with the DIY or do-it-yourself crowd? I'm talking about, and I talked about this last week for a reason. It's something that we kind of just touch on from time to time, especially if you're in the service business. If you're in a service business, you're so used to hands-on. It's almost a default where if you're not thinking, you go automatically into that place where you do a lot of hands-on work. And there's nothing wrong with hands-on work. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you look at the two different audience types, there are people that are willing to pay to have a service done for them But then there is a much different group of people who are do-it-yourselfers, and they're not willing to pay to have you do the work for them. They want to learn how to do it themselves. They want to be able to control the process, just like you can control that process if you're doing the work for yourself. Now, here's the key. You don't have to create something complex for this group of people, especially when you're starting out. I think it's important to keep it simple, get some feedback, and then you can go from there. Now, if you're looking for ideas, you can go to a website like, well, take Envato Market. That's E-N-V-A-T-O, E-N-V-A-T-O, Envato Market. And if you if you do a quick search on it, you'll find there's a group of websites connected to that marketplace that sell products that are created by freelancers, solopreneurs, designers, coders, videographers, musicians. I mean, they have just about every type of digital product available on there. And many of these products are very simple. They're designed to solve a single need or challenge. Now, over time, as a personal brand, there's no reason why you can't build your own little marketplace. Or you can expedite the process if that's something that interests you. Remember, we're talking about now selling to the do-it-yourself type of audience. There's no reason you can't expedite that whole process of building out your own little marketplace if you have some money and you have other people help you do it and help you launch it. And this is where we look into topics like niching down. This is where it makes a lot more sense. So for example, if I go into that Envato marketplace, I can see examples of designers and they're selling brand kits that cover artwork for social media channels like Facebook or LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and so on. I see people that are selling audio intros and outros, background music. And so the idea here isn't 
well, should I be selling music or should I be selling design and really breaking it down? Uh, you can break it down later on. First, you need to see the big picture and how, what using broad brush strokes, what this would look like in your business. So for example, if you are a writer, let's talk about copywriting, for example, maybe you have a done for them service where people hire you out, but maybe not everyone can afford to pay the fees that you're charging. And let's face it, if you're going to exchange time for money, you need to charge enough or else you'll get to the point where you've exhausted your billable hours and you're still not making enough money. So if you decide to create this second arm, and this is where I'm encouraging you to really look into this, where you have products available for the do-it-yourself crowd, you may have templates or videos with templates showing people how to craft their own sales copy. Maybe not just general sales copy, but for a specific industry. See, this is where the opportunities are found, not in general industries. You're never going to compete with the Microsofts of the world by creating general products that the mass users like. You probably won't be able to really build a subscriber base like you would in the past just talking about general topics in general markets that are so broad. You need to, we all start out broad. I'm not saying that you can't start that way. But you really need to think it through maybe, and you know, we can use terms like niching down or picking a lane. There's different ways to put it. But I guarantee you there is a place that is a better fit for you as an individual than any other place. And I know it can be frustrating because it feels difficult sometimes to identify where that place is. And it does take a little bit of time. But if you're willing to believe what I'm telling you and stick with it, you will find that place and it will begin to fit you like a glove. And that is the key, I think, especially as a small business owner, solopreneur, entrepreneurial type of personality, is to find the place, find the thing that fits you like a glove. And you don't give up until you find that place because it transforms everything. And unfortunately, yes, it does take some time to find and you do have to make adjustments to get there. But the getting there is, it will bring you the kind of relief, the kind of, it's kind of like finding water in a desert. Maybe that would be a good way to put it. The, the point is, is that whatever products you create, they should complement or maybe even mirror what it is that you're producing for your done for you customers or clients. The important uh, distinction here is this is what you're making for the do it yourself crowd. By creating options also, you're creating additional opportunities to make more money in your business. And even when we look at specific, even in different categories, if I'm going to provide a done-for-you service, if I can provide three versions of that, I like to use the illustration of small, medium, and large, I have three opportunities to make the sale. If I'm going to create a package for the do-it-yourself crowd, if I can provide that package in small, medium, and large, for example... Then once again, I have three opportunities to make the sale. And that's where people struggle oftentimes. They think, well, what do I charge? And by offering different levels or different options or different pricing levels or different tiers, whatever label you want to put on it, what you're doing is you're creating a selling position that's a lot stronger than Maybe if you just try to pick one number and try to make that number work for everyone. Variety gives you more opportunity. 
you know, sometimes people that buy the uh, large version or say no to the large version, they'll be willing to buy the small or medium. And sometimes people aren't willing to buy the large version. They want to start out with something small. And if they're comfortable with you, comfortable with the way you're doing business, then they'll go and they'll invest in something larger. Some people just jump right into large right off the bat. They're different personalities. Don't make the mistake of projecting your values into your audience because everyone's different. Don't assume that everyone is like you because you'll make a lot of mistakes by doing that. Okay, I think this is a good place to put it on pause. We'll call it a wrap for now. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All the back episodes can be found there as well. Your sharing of this podcast continues to make it possible for me to help people who would otherwise be very difficult to reach. There's more than just a little bit of noise out there today, so a heartfelt thank you for those of you who share the links. So that's about all again for today. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.